0: Miller from My Creative Life, and I'm here with Nikita Prokop. He is a New York City-based letter artist, graphic designer, and uh, graphic design professor. So, Nikita, thank you so much for being on this podcast.
1: Nancy, thanks for having me. Happy Sunday morning. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it's great. I haven't talked to you in person in such a long time, um, but I've been just amazed by your Instagram. Of course, I follow follow you on um, your social media sites and uh, especially your design work has just like, it's interesting because I think I met you like quite a while ago, because this is when my son was born. So it's like 13 years. And when you watch somebody's evolution of the level of work that especially you've been putting out, it's phenomenal. I mean, you even had a book that you wrote on your ambigrams. You have been on... You, you've appeared at so many different design conferences. And I've just kind of watched your journey along the way. And it's just... Um, it's fantastic your work it's just the level of uh, commitment and passion that you have for design
1: well thank you very much for saying that yeah and uh, yeah we went in 2004 2005 in savannah when i did an internship or no i was uh re- replacing you for a few weeks at scuba Diving magazine and you were the advertising designer i the director advertising designer and i jumped in just as you mentioned as you were giving birth to your son so that was a that was a fun experience overall. Yeah, it's been a while since we spoke, though. So I know so like much fun to hear you and to talk to you.
0: Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Because I always, I it's so humor and your humor, your just the things that I've learned about you over the years. I mean, can you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, in grad school in Savannah. I was there. Well, I was, first of all, got an undergrad degree in graphic design in Connecticut. Then I decided. I was not really ready for the field, so I thought, let me go to grad school. So I applied to a few grad schools, ended up in Savannah, Georgia, as you know, spent a few years there, and then moved back home, started looking for work, got a few design offers, then I got an offer from my alma mater to go teach. So I was a professor for four years, of professor of graphic design, then I decided Connecticut was a little too boring for me, not the teaching part, but Connecticut in itself, and I decided to go to New York City. And ironically, New York City, I never really liked New York until I went to Savannah, and I went on a two-week trip to New York City with a class. And that's after that concentrated dose of New York, I fell in love with it. Mm. So it was the concentrated dose of New York, uh, being there with fellow students, enjoying the architecture and the culture. Uh, and then I end up, I've been freelancing in New York since 2011. i moved there. I um, have, have an apartment now. I don't have any pets. I have a dying plant. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think it's in its last stages, but I keep trying to revive it and keep it alive. So it's working okay so far. And right now I teach uh, full-time. There's a place called Chillington, and I freelance a little bit on the side. And I just do my own typography and lettering every single day just to kind of keep the skills fresh.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, I just, your students are very lucky to have you with all your experience. Um, I wanted to also ask you, like, uh, can you describe to us like the, probably your earliest memory of your first time making art or like what kind of inspired you to go into Because everybody kind of has that moment that they kind of remember distinctly like, hey, I really have a passion for this. Like,
1: I don't know if I have a specific moment that I yeah. can nail it down to, but I do know that when I, was, I was born and raised in Russia, and I took a lot of art lessons there, so I wish I had any uh, paintings or pictures to show you. They're all hanging in my mom's uh, house back in Connecticut, but um, I used to draw from a very early age. Now, I don't know if that contributed to my beginning of my journey and passion as a designer, but maybe it has something to do with it because my grandfather was an architect and a painter, mm-hmm. and him, along with my mom and grandmother, really pushed the idea of art, education, and culture, and just knowing... Different, not focusing on just one type of art or going to one type of museum, but absorbing all kinds of artwork around you and really diversifying kind of the range of experiences from external experiences. So that contributed to my passion for art and design. And I think that eventually, you know, subconscious level led me to graphic design and then to typography and lettering. So
0: awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that now obviously you have a favorite type of art to create because if anybody follows your instagram oh can you tell people what your instagram um if they're interested in following it
1: absolutely my instagram is type by nikita okay pretty straightforward not very original but type by nikita
0: so can you explain a little bit about what your favorite type of art to create
1: well i'll try to make that as short as possible it's kind of a long story but i'll condense it um in 2008 or 2009, I read a book called Angels and Demons by Dan Brown, okay. and one of the plot features featured an ambergram, and an embrogram is a word that when rotated or viewed from like a different perspective, uh, reveals another word. And having been a fan of surrealism, art movements, and MC Escher, and specifically art that kind of forced you to go back and take a second look, I fell in love with ambigrams and I started trying to create them. And after a couple of years of creating them, I realized, wait a minute, I'm trying to not just create typography, but manipulate typography so it can be seen from a different perspective. And I don't know how to create actual letter forms properly. Mm-hmm. So that led me to kind of go back to research and look at typography, more traditional typography in detail, look at typographic construction, look at different uh, ways of writing, uh, different trends that uh, you know pop up through each letter, through each alphabet, and basically looking at typographic design and history and typefaces. And that in turn led me to lettering, which, when I was in grad school, I honestly didn't even know that existed. I knew that there's typography, there's typesetting, there's using typefaces for different projects, but I never really realized that lettering and custom lettering and creating completely custom letters was a thing. So that led me to lettering, and now my favorite type of work to create, of course, is amagrams, uh, hand lettering, and maybe a little bit of some illustration or pattern design in between.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, I've noticed some of your pattern designs that you'd had on your Instagram. Those are really cool. I mean, I was like, ooh, those look really nice as prints or I don't know, just really, really interesting. And I love the use of colors that you've been doing with, you know, I feel like you have a very particular look or style to your work that it's very consistent across whatever you're doing. Like, I can always tell, like, even if it's lettering or if you're doing something else, I go like, oh, that that's Nikita's work.
1: Well, thank you, thank you for saying that. And regarding the color, but it's funny you say that yeah. because my whole website is black and white. There's <laughs> like a pixel of color here, a pixel of color there, and everything else is just very simple black and white to the point. And color is actually, if we want to be fairly transparent, oh, yeah. honest here, color is my weakest, uh, the weakest aspect of my design, design game, so to speak. <laughs> color, I, I always struggle with color. It's always a challenge. But when it works it works great. When it doesn't, I try 50 combinations and none of them still work. So it's, it's an evolving skill set that I'm, I'm, I'm working on that right now.
0: Well, that gives the, the rest of us uh, newbies who are in to that kind of work uh, kind of some hope then. <laughs> Maybe we can get that good. So um, do you have a specific inspiration of um, what made you become um, a graphic designer? I mean, you kind of talked about, you know, you had family influences, but was there something in particular you know, as far as that kind of led you to the graphic design path? <laughs>
1: um, yes, yeah, so it was actually computer science, believe it or not. Uh, because the first year in undergrad, I was a computer science major. Okay. And I was trying to get that stupid uh, Hello World program to work. Those of us have done coding okay. before, who work with C or Java, know that you write a little program, and the only goal of it is to output the words Hello World on the screen. It's a simple, stupid, little simple five-line, six-line program. It's ridiculously easy, and I couldn't get it to work. And I struggled with Java, uh, coding Java for a year, year and a half, and then I realized, all right, uh, my GPA is nowhere near where it should be. Um, I'm probably going to go on academic commission next semester. Um, I probably need to find a different major. And because of my past art experience, drawing, uh, sketching, my grandfather and his influences, my family, we kind of decided as a whole, hey, Direction. So, design became the new direction, and from the first semester, absolutely fell in love with it.
0: That's great. I think it's interesting to hear that your family was really supportive about it. I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm. I grew up in a very Asian kind of household, and so, like, art its perception is a little bit different. Like, I guess you know, they were a little bit like after I finished, together, like, you got a degree in what? They were, I guess, they were like, oh. <laughs> what? We thought you were doing something completely different. I was like, no, I was doing illustration. Well, what is that? Oh, like they were kind of a little bit taken aback. But that is awesome that you had that family support that said, hey, we we feel like this is a good direction for you and you can be... I
1: think it was like a mixture of support and also, hey, you need to stop, you need to bring up your GPA <laughs> quite much higher if you're not going to drop out of college or you need to do better because we're paying for school. So it was a mixture of support and a kick in the ass. Um, oh,
0: that's, that's good.
1: And it's funny you say that understanding of what design is. Um, so my grandpa, who was my one of my bigger influences, he unfortunately passed away when I was only 20 and I was just getting into graphic design. So he never really got a chance to see my graphic design work or my lettering, but I still have a lot of his old sketches and drawings left. I know he would have loved it. Okay. Uh, My grandma, on the other hand, my grandma was very educated in art and music, uh, very well read, but she couldn't grasp what design was. So every time I would show her uh, one of my design pieces, the conversation would go something like this. Um, Oh, grandma, here's a logo, here is a brochure, here's a poster, here's a package that she would say, oh, it's nice, it's beautiful. What is that? (laughs) (laughs) And I would explain it to her what the purpose of it is, and just because of her generation and where she grew up, uh, she can appreciate the aesthetics of it, but she couldn't always understand or grasp what design is. So, but my mom, my mom understands it because she, even though she grew up in Russia, uh, she's more of a modern day individual. So she knows what graphic design is. She's seen quite a lot of examples that I show her, and she has a very high bar for both fine art, sculpture, graphic design, architecture. She's able to appreciate it, but she's very strict with her praise. Mm-hmm. So whenever I, whenever I create something that is. That she likes, and she says she likes. I'm like, all right, this is pretty good. My mom likes it. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't like it sometimes. It's we clash heads. I'm like, but this is good. She said. She says, yeah, it's good, but it's predictable. I'm like, thanks, mom. I just put you know fifty six hours <laughs> into this, and you call it predictable. But it's all part of a learning process. And it's good to get feedback from people that are not necessarily designers, mm-hmm. because in the end, for me as a designer, they could be my target audience. They could That's be the exactly. ones that see my work in the wild. So it doesn't necessarily. You know, having someone who will benefit from seeing it or using it or kind of somehow implying and using it in their lives or trusting in their lives, uh, that, that helps. So it helps to get that feedback, even though it may not be the most positive, but it's still helpful feedback.
0: That's true. I agree with that totally. As I've gotten older and then being a teacher and then going in the classroom, my students don't want to critique. And I'm like, you have to do this. This is so important. It's like, you don't realize that your perception in your mind, you've been working on this in front of the screen. You're very attached to it, but does it read the way you had intended? It's always up to what you're intended. Is it communicating visually. And so the students don't want to do it because they're like made this thing that they have spent all these hours on and they are like, but then they might hear something they don't like. And then you're like, you got to go back and fix it or you might want to revise it. And so, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, so, I mean, I understand, but I found as I've gotten older, I'm like those critiques, because then I go back <coughs> and do it. The the work then brings it up, you know, you bring it up a notch.
1: No, I absolutely agree. Definitely. Uh, kind it helps to not raise your own work, but raise your own standard, and kind of understand yeah. where the work ends up. So you start taking that into consideration more and more, as you and as you should, as a designer or as an illustrator or as any other creative medium. Unless you're doing work, for, unless you're one of those artists who just says, "I'm just going to create work for my own uh, yes. enjoyment. I don't give a you know what yes. to like, it appreciates it. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't care what anyone thinks."
0: Yeah. Um, and that-
1: not that kind of artist, so. yeah
0: I'm not either I mean everything's very intentional because I look at I come from an applied arts field and it's like I, there's always gonna be an intended viewer and there's always going to be this visual conversation that maybe they're not necessarily I always work in tandem with text and with words and with children's books so I go like that's ultimately what I have to serve and if I'm not you know and I want it to be visually interesting for whoever's reading it so oh, absolutely
1: I absolutely agree.
0: So I was curious, how do you stay so motivated? Because you are one busy guy. You are speaking at different conferences. You have been, you've written a book. You've, you're teaching, and um, then you know, still making time to do the jumping out of the airplanes, which I really don't understand. But you know, we all have to have our releases. But you know, how do you balance all of that and continue to come up with uh, fresh ideas and stay, you know, on top of your game?
1: Well, you're, first off, you're giving me a bit more credit than I deserve because I've actually never actually spoken at a conference. Uh, my oh, first one, I could have sworn you conference. had. No, I've I've been to a lot of. I've met a lot of contacts there, but actually, I'm speaking at my first conference in Australia. This. <gasps> uh,
0: gotcha. Okay. Because oh, maybe you did the design for something at one of the conferences because I, I a saw couple, you.
1: I a couple of, yeah, I did a couple of designs. Like I did a promo for uh for, for nina printers i did a poster for atlanta when they were doing the how design conference atlanta. i did okay. that. I think that one or two other uh like smaller level uh promotional items some typography well, involving like typography of course mm. uh but no my first conference is going to be in australia this summer it's a typism uh, lettering and typography conference so nice. well, that's going to be fun that is awesome um, yeah I, i'm i'm kind of uh I'm not sure what to talk about I have so many different topics uh, that I can cover and I'm in the process of framing out my talk and writing my speech and prepping all new lettering examples so that's gonna be that's gonna be quite a piece to work out for the next couple of months until I go to Australia. Um, in terms of your other question and how I stay motivated, I feel like every day if I don't do something design mm-hmm. or type related, whether it's a quick sketch or developing an idea or actually, Sitting in front of a computer and lettering or finishing a perfect sketch on paper, I feel like something is almost missing. So it's, I don't know if it's like a sixth sense or it's in a drive, but I want to do something every day. Mm-hmm. And the days that I do some, that I don't do a piece of uh, lettering, and piece of photography, you know, something in the computer, it's just some experimentation. Those days are rare, but they do happen. Like when well, I'm on vacation, for example, I relax a lot more. I read, I sketch, you know, I scuba dive, I skydive. But uh, when I'm at home during the week and i'm teaching full-time it's i love the environment i love the teaching environment where i get to see the students create and then it turns motivates me so when i get home I'm like all right i feel like i'm extra charged up on adrenaline and creative energy i'm like all right i need to create something and it turns into a very familiar process where i say to myself all right i'm home at eight o'clock i should eat dinner and then maybe read or watch, some, watch a movie go to sleep soon but let me sketch this idea out first for half an hour mm-hmm. that usually turns into Hour or two, and then at 10 o'clock at night, uh-huh. I say to myself, Well, let me just this looks great. I really want to see how it looks in the mirror. Let me jump on the computer for just 15 20 minutes. I always say this to myself, Just 15 20 minutes. Uh-huh. And usually, I look at the clock and it's 1 a.m. and I just finish a whole piece. I need to get up at 6 30 to uh-huh. go to work. And uh, it happens, it's such a better process, it happens over and over. I need to get better at kind of cutting myself off and actually sleeping and resting more, uh, which also helps be more creative because when your mind and your body is rested you feel more energized to create work and I'm true. trying to find that balance a little bit more and it doesn't always happen I have to say
0: oh that's great I mean that explains why you have you know such you know you there's a commitment and I think people often because we're so immersed in social media everything's sped up everything is very like um is very like this is the best of the world there's like you know like that it's a process that you're going through and that you've built that, you know, in order to get to where you're at. So I think that's Uh, great.
1: That's a process I go through every single day. And it it really is, it really does feel like when I don't create for a few days, Mm -hmm. like something's missing. So that always, Without even me having to think about it, I always find myself sitting and sketching almost subconsciously. So, And that the day that I stop doing this is the day that I probably either need to retire or find another field.
0: Uh, sure. You'll probably be very, very old by then, very, very late in your years. So what I wanted to ask next is, like, you've kind of mentioned a little bit of, like, you're, you've got the, you're going to be speaking in Australia, but is there anything else that you're currently working on that you'd want to share, like, professionally or just for yourself, creatively?
1: Um, there's nothing I don't really have any big projects at the moment. There's a couple of little a lettering projects, a couple of small logo pieces here and there, but nothing really nothing really gigantic or re- re- revolutionary or new. Just a couple of small projects to keep the creativity uh, keep the creativity going and uh, mostly a lot of personal work as well. I have like four or five projects that are all in different stages of infancy that I've started and then put on the back burner for whatever reason or just, haven't finished because other projects took over. So I have a couple of things I'm working on uh, in between. There's a series of typographic puns that I started a long time ago. Uh, mm. Those are always in the works. It's it's a pretty wide range of things.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, that makes me feel better. I have multiple projects, and some I keep like going back to. I kind of I don't know if it's ADHD or something. <laughs> like I'll work <laughs> on something, and i be like, no, I need to do this. And so I'm trying to get better about just finishing. I think with grad school coming up, I'll get more consistent about um, really. Finishing things.
1: Yeah, I think if anything, that the, what I found when yeah. I was in school, that consistent structure yeah. of where you have to go to class, you have work, you have due dates, uh, you have to deliver something, that always helped me stay in check and keep everything more organized. So, not to say that I didn't leave some projects on the drawing board in grad school. Absolutely, there are some things that I left unfinished, but it helped me keep more structured. And teaching also does that because you know you have your steady days, you know you have a certain time, certain lectures you need to prepare certain examples, certain books, and then you can them home and that structure kind of bleeds over into your post-teaching life as well. At least for me, I found that.
0: Great. Thank you for that advice. So, um, where's your favorite place to see art? Because you're in New York City, so that is wonderful. I mean, do you have a favorite place? I mean, that you... Uh,
1: that is that is such an open, uh, such a wide open question. Um If you want to see good or bad art, you walk out of New York and walk in the streets. There's anything from graffiti to really poorly used comic sans papyrus and different ads to beautiful billboards. It's such a wide range just in New York itself. As far as something more specific, like typography and lettering, there's a Herb Blue Ballon Museum at the Cooper uh, Union. And that, to me, is just, that's my mecca. If I could spend uh, a couple hours there each day, I would. Uh, it's actually a really great place. They have uh, two hour time windows where you can make a scheduled visit. They have a lot oh. of design and typography books. they have old archives of lettering. they have original sketches and uh, copies of original pieces by not just by Herbert Ballan, but by Tom Perne, a lot of other designers. And you can sit there, you can take photographs of it, you can sketch. Uh, the guy who runs it Alexander Tchaowski, he's just a wealth of knowledge on typography and lettering and He's more than happy to talk and let oh you pick nice. his brains. That's my favorite go-to inspiration for typography, and then museums. Oh God, where do I begin? There's uh-huh. the Jewish, there's the, uh, there's the Whitney, there's the Met, there's MoMA, there's mm-hmm. Museum Art of Design, there's the New Gallery, there's a the frickle. I mean, was, I, I could sit here, we could sit here and talk for an hour and just go down the list of different museums and galleries. But uh, it's I don't have one. I can I can. I cannot pick one. That's my favorite one, or even two or three. They all. So they also repurposed at some point in time.
0: Oh, awesome! Yeah, you get—I would think—you get spoiled in New York City. Just like just whatever catches your fancy, whatever they're showing, you can go and find it. So that's that's fantastic.
1: Absolutely, I feel like we're spoiled by not just by the culture, but by mm. by the wide range of people, by the personalities, by all the characters in the subways and on the streets. We're, we're very spoiled in New York City, like nowhere else, I think.
0: That's awesome. So what would you say is the most indispensable item in your studio that you just can't live without?
1: Well, um, I would honestly have to say it's pencil, markers, and paper. Um, I have an iPad. I started dabbling in Procreate a year ago, but I still find myself going back to paper and pencil and markers and brush pens. It's just something about the tactile, the connection of that from the, you know, from the head to the eyes to the to the hand, or sorry, from the head to the eyes to the hand and to the paper. There's something so intimate about that process, that connection. I always go back to paper. And my iPad now, even though I use it for drawing sometimes, I use it mostly for reading and for watching movies. And I still go back, I have a beautiful iPad, I still use paper and pencil more than anything that I can recall. Maybe I'm just old school like that, but all my earlier inspirations, they're designers and lettering artists that came from there when computers were not really around. And if they were, they were at the tail end of their careers. So that beautiful precision and craftsmanship and dedication that comes from just paper and pencil.
0: That, I think, is more phenomenal. I think that's also this, you know, younger generations can't appreciate it. Sometimes they don't appreciate because, like you're saying, it's hand-done. Like, when we look at, um, in graphic design class, we look at somebody like... Um, trying to think of the artist, but like somebody who hand paints everything and you go that that line looks mechanical. It looks like it's done on a computer, but an actual person painted that line that that was hand done. And so that somebody, it's so planned out. It's so thought out. And uh, so they kind of appreciate a little bit more because we take it for granted that we feel like the computer can just, you know, fix those mistakes yeah. or whatever, make it
1: so much easier. Oh, it definitely does. If I can digress for a second, I mention a couple yeah. of names. Um after my first lettering piece ever, which actually was a banner I lettered for a friend whose birthday it is, and my friend and I jumped out of a plane holding that banner. So it was I have said happy birthday, Patty. Mm -hmm. And the lettering was absolutely awful. It was (laughs) horrendous. I can dissect it from here until sundown. And I think a year after that, my friend Patty, who did the banner for, She gave me a book of Doyle Young's lettering. And Doyle Young, I had no idea who he was at the time. And I don't know if she gave me the book as a thank you or as a way of saying, hey, uh, you need to improve your lettering, so here's a beautiful book as a thank you gift. Um, But his his work is absolutely amazing. The range of his work, the beauty of his work, just the precision of his lines, that absolutely captivated me. So I definitely recall that as the starting point for my passion in lettering. Uh, another guy is, of course, Herb LeBellin and Tom Cernese. Uh They ran the Balance studio together, and they're well-known for so many typefaces and lettering and so many beautiful pieces. And uh, the third person is Jared Huerta. And first, I ran into him because he designed the logo for my favorite band, which is ACDC. And I, I know you're laughing. That's what everybody's reaction is. But then I also learned of his other beautiful lettering work. He's done not just lettering for bands, but for different art organizations, different wide range of clients. And I was lucky enough to go to his uh, New Haven studio in Connecticut and meet him and see a lot oh. of his original sketches. And the, just the beauty of his work and that precision where it's just pencil and paper or pen, that struck such a chord with me And those three well, those four, uh, so Doyle Young, Gerard Huerta, and Herbal Ballad and Tom Cernese. Oh, I'm sorry, Tony Despina. I forgot to mention Tony Despina. Uh, those five are definitely the early influences that I keep going to every single time when someone asks me a question. Well, who's your inspiration and who uh, would you like to learn from? Those five are old school design pioneers that are absolutely a great starting point.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, I wrote them down because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study some of them and bring that to my classroom, so thank you so much. Now, the next question is, what what would you wish you had known prior to becoming a graphic designer yeah. that you had been kind of, you know, maybe given a heads up on <laughs> before you fully immerse yourself into, you know, working as a graphic designer?
1: Uh, I really think my answer has nothing to do with graphic design. Huh. I wish that, well, it does yeah. it doesn't. I wish that was uh, when I was in school uh, we had a class dedicated to just business management and finances, because that's the part that I hate about the business house, and that's the part that I'm not good at at all, and that's the part that I didn't have to learn and learn on my own until I had some of my first clients. And also saving money, which goes back to paying student loans, which I'm sure you'll become very familiar with. Um, I wish I learned that, and I wish someone taught me that before I started as a graphic designer. Not even before, but while I was a graphic designer
0: the business side of it because I didn't realize this was how naive I was my senior year in like my portfolio class I was like oh so you're gonna have us maybe like do mock interviews we're gonna like go and find co- you know companies that we would actually get hired and they they're like no no we we don't do that you're you're been trained all this time as a freelance illustrator I was like, What? They're like nobody really hires like they did in the old days having that in-house illustrator and and I was like, really? Uh oh. I was like really panicking. And then so everything I've had to learn about business side of it, I've learned because I basically went into graphic design, became a graphic designer, and then I would freelance. But like you said, like you know, a ten ninety nine, you know, what is that? How do you do like you need to save a third of what you earn and you earn for your taxes? Um, yeah. do you, if you want to get Where into other, friends? yeah, what are taxes? I was like, why are going to, so all this stuff, you know, I had to kind of learn and it was a lot of it was speaking to other people, you know, that I was working with and they were like, Oh, cause I was excited about doing freelance work, but then they were like, Oh, this would be like, you a good time to maybe look into getting a tax accountant or because if you don't know, <laughs> you know, you got to hire somebody to h&r Block and get my taxes done and they were like no you probably want to look into finding somebody who can help you out and learn so you can maximize your tax returns and and just writing things off things that you purchase you know i i just unaware of all that and billing like how
1: oh, absolutely. I, I, oftentimes my billing was oh here's let me send you an email this is how much you owe me here you go and uh, there was no contracts initially there was no business aspect, and that's something that as you mentioned, I had to pick it up from other designers and go to some talks and learn. about. I still, I feel like I've only still scratched the surface of it. So if I ever go back to full-time freelancing on my own, I'll yeah. need to probably either take a course or really dive into learning and kind of keep myself structured and organized. So. Yeah,
0: but that's an excellent point that you bring up. But thank you for sharing that because that makes me not feel so <laughs> like, I was like, I wasn't the only one. Um, no, okay.
1: Definitely not.
0: And this last question is kind of deep, um, so, and it's a three-parter. At the end of your life, you've made all the graphic design that you've wanted, and you've lived a full life. If there could be nothing left behind of your existence but a note you've written with three final truths, what would those truths be?
1: Uh, you know, you sent me of questions ahead of time, and I thought about all of them, and that last one stumped me uh, absolutely the most. Because other ones are fairly straightforward. You know, who's your inspiration? Um, where did you learn? What, are, what inspires you? Those are all questions that I have a pretty cut and dry answer. So the three final truths. First of all, um, I would say enjoy all of your experiences, whether good or bad. Because I can definitely track back throughout my career and my life and all the experience that I've had. The good ones definitely benefited, of course, because you're happy, you're smiling, you're enjoying them. But the bad ones contributed in a way where you fought through adversity, you learned something more about yourself. So enjoying and relishing both have good and the bad experiences because they all contribute to your development, not just as a designer or an illustrator or artist, but as a person as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one would be you know, enjoy your work. I think that as designers, illustrator, artists, we're I'm not going to say we. The profession chose us because that is the stupidest cliche mm-hmm. that I think. I mean we chose we choose graphic design illustration art for a reason, because we're passionate about it, because we value, you know, creative artistic self-expression. So enjoy all of it because it is it is a fun field. We're not sitting there crunching numbers with all the respect to accountants mm-hmm. who are vital to our own personal existence. Yeah. But we're not sitting there crunching numbers. We get to draw, we get to create, we get to paint, we get to sculpt. And it's just such a fun, enjoyable process, whether it's at the you know, at the top or at the bottom of the curve, it's still a fun process. So enjoying the whole process. And finally, um, the third one. I had a wide choice between the uh, what to think and what to say. Is uh, learn how to learn how to be objective and truthful yourself, and appreciate criticisms from the right people, and ignore criticisms from the ones that just want to hear themselves talk. And sometimes, when it's, if you're a new designer or art, artist illustrator, it's hard to distinguish between the criticism of who's giving you the right feedback, who's telling you your work is horrible, either because they're trying to make themselves feel better or because they don't know anything else to say or they don't have anything nice to say. But in time, you learn how to kind of filter out the criticism and the feedback from the people that matters and ignore the, feed, the comments from people that are just saying it for the sake of saying something. I don't know if those are the three of the yeah. final truths. Maybe tomorrow my answer might change. So okay. maybe we'll have a conversation tomorrow night, but... Um, that's that's my answer to that
0: for now well thank you so much I think all of this has been very insightful and you know I I just uh, appreciate your passion for what you do in graphic design and how you you know your work is fantastic it's beautiful so it's just like um, but yeah I, I'm excited to see where you go in the next chapter and how you keep evolving your work because I think as you know what you're in as teacher, you know, artist, graphic designer and all that, whatever type of art you make, that you're constantly learning and you're evolving and you're changing because I think that's how we keep our interests and our passion and trying to, you know, go forward and, yeah, keep doing good work, so.
1: And I absolutely love, I have to say, I absolutely love your illustration work. So oh, that's and
0: and I really, really love
1: your work, and I can't wait to see what happens with grad school when you stage. Oh, well. And also one of my very first, uh, not tough, but challenging uh, yes. experiences when I started working at scooby a Magazine. So I came out first, I was supposed to overlap with you for a couple of weeks and you were supposed to show me the ropes because I knew nothing about it. And I think in the second or third day, Susan called me into her office and said, uh, Nancy's in the hospital about to give birth, so here's her desk, here's her <laughs> e here's her list. So it was, it was kind of this trial by fire where I was just thrown in the deep end. So thank you to your child for arriving early and putting me in a <laughs> challenging spot because I learned I actually worked quite a bit from being under the gun, and I've, I've always been the type of designer that I procrastinate, but when I'm under pressure, oh, when I'm in a challenging situation, I work much better than when I have a lot of time, and that just solidified that whole uh, perception of my own work and how my process goes, so thank you for that, and thank you for your beautiful work as well.
0: Oh, well, thank you, Nikita, and can you just share, like, uh, give a shout-out to your social media in case anybody would like to follow it or take a look more at um, your work,
1: Uh, Social media type by Nikita is my Instagram handle. You can always connect with me, email me any questions. I'm always happy to interact and give feedback or just discuss design. If someone is curious about more of my inspiration or resources, message me. I will be more than happy to share whatever I know. And that's probably the best way to reach me. I'm on Facebook, Facebook. Instagram in terms of art and design, Mm -hmm. definitely Instagram.
0: Great. Well, thank you, and you have a good Sunday. Um, thank you to my, my listeners for tuning in, and um, you. you have a good rest of your Sunday.
1: Thank you, Nancy. Thank you.